0: Okay, let me say a couple of things before we start again. Um, What ought to come from a study of eschatology, first and foremost, is a healthy fear of God in your life. And so, something to consider as we're talking about all of these eschatological events of the history of mankind and and, uh, where the world is headed in the future and what God has in store for everything he has created, you ought to give serious consideration to where you stand with the living God. Uh, God's not playing games. He created the world for his purposes and he's going to bring it to his expected end. And so as we look at these things, uh, it ought to generate a healthy fear of God in us. And then furthermore, I wanted to say that uh, we have a lot of Variant views within eschatology, and so we want to be very careful not to have any heated disagreements in the class, of which nobody is prepared to have those, and so if you have a a disagreement with something that's being taught, please approach me after the class, and I'll give you an opportunity to address the class uh, at a later time and give you some time to prepare for the things that you want to say, and then furthermore... um, Remember that this study is just for the purposes of an overview. We're not going into a lot of really intensive details. Uh, We're going to be doing more details today and next week than we have in the past. But uh, again, you know, these things get rather complex and, and it would take us a lot of time to really go in and look at all of the details that are involved. So I just wanted to mention those things before we start and now I'll go ahead and pray. Oh, God, our Father, Lord, we praise you and we glorify your holy name. God, we thank you that you indeed are on the throne, that you are ruling from heaven, and, Lord, nothing is happening outside of your sovereign will. We thank you, Lord, that you have sent your Son, Jesus, to be the satisfaction for our sins, and that in him, Lord, we can have the hope of eternal life. God, I, I thank you for the precious blood of Christ and all that he is to us and all that you have done for us in him. Lord, I, I thank you for the privilege of gathering in this place this morning to speak about your truth. I pray that you would enlighten our eyes and bring revelation to each and everyone that is here, God. I pray that you would help us to see more clearly uh, the things which you have laid out for the end of the times. And Lord, I pray that you would help us, Lord, to uh, to just have the Word of God as our framework for understanding these things. And, and may we be ready with Scripture in our minds, God, as we consider uh, all of the events of the end time. Let us not be deceived about these matters, but let us understand what you have clearly revealed in the Scripture. We thank you, Lord, for all that you are doing in us and for the privilege we have to gather in this place. In Christ's name, amen. Okay. So, with that, we'll get started. And we're back into our study of defining millennialism. In the last two weeks, we we, uh, have been discussing two uh, views that have been held throughout church history. The first one was amillennialism. We looked at amillennialism, which was a view that was first uh, set forth by St. Augustine in 400 AD and and really was held throughout the largest period of church history uh, until uh, after the Puritan era. And, of course, after the Puritan era uh, arose the view which we call post-millennialism. And uh, that pretty much reigned within evangelical Christianity until the 19th century. So in the, in the early 19th century, in, in um, the 1820s and 30s, there arose a view which was called futurism. And, and what came out of futurism was the understanding of premillennialism. And, uh, and and of course that has been the reigning view within evangelical Christianity since the early part of the nineteenth century. And so that's what we're going to be discussing this morning, premillennialism. But I also want to add that a study of the early church fathers prior to four hundred AD would reveal that the church was in fact premillennial in their view, in large part, that is, the majority of fathers who have written on the subject, had uh, most closely a view which is related to premillennialism. So that's why there is even a view within uh, premillennialism today, which is called historic premillennialism. And when they say historic premillennialism, they are referring back to the view of the early church, which which basically was the major view in the early church of eschatology uh, from the time that there was a church up until... Uh, the, the, uh, uh, up until the time of St. Augustine, which was in 400 A.D. So, uh, having said those things about premillennialism, I want to read a few passages of scripture to you. And I know we took a little survey last week, and I was asking people who had been taught eschatology and different eschatological views and so on, and I realized there was quite a few more people than I thought really have never had much teaching at all on the subject, and then, of course, uh, about two thirds of the class uh, had said that they had actually been taught the premillennial viewpoint. And so, some of the things that we've been going over were new. But uh, what I'd like to do is read a few passages of Scripture for you this morning, so you can kind of get a framework for what some of these things are and where they come from in the Bible. And uh, to this week and next week, we're going to get uh, more specific about. Really, what position we hold here in the church, which is premillennialism. And uh, we're going to look uh, more specifically at the text of Scripture as to where some of these key points and differences come from. So, uh, I'm going to read a few passages of Scripture to get started. We'll be in the book of Daniel. Go ahead and turn to chapter 9. And uh, I'm going to read the passage there in Daniel chapter 9, verses 24 through 27. Now, this is the prophecy about the 70 weeks of Daniel, okay? Now, obviously, it finds itself in the larger context of Daniel chapter 9, which I'm not going to read the whole chapter. And Daniel chapter 9 finds itself in the larger context of the whole book of Daniel. Those are things to remember. But here we're just going to look at a few things that the Scripture says about the 70 weeks of Daniel, okay? Uh, Daniel chapter 9, starting in verse uh, 24. Seventy weeks have been decreed for your people and your holy city to finish the transgression, to make an end of sin, to make atonement for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy place. So you are to know and discern that from the issuing of a decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until the Messiah, the Prince, there will be seven weeks and sixty-two weeks. It will be built again with plaza and moat, even in times of distress. Then after the 62 weeks, the Messiah will be cut off and have nothing. And the people of the prince who is to come will destroy the city and the sanctuary. And its end will come with a flood. Even to the end there will be war, desolations are determined. And he will make a firm covenant with the many for one week... But in the middle of the week, he will put a stop to sacrifice and grain offering. And on the wing of abominations will come one who makes desolate. Even until a complete destruction, one that is decreed, is poured out on the one who makes desolate. (coughs) Okay, so there you have a prophecy of the 70 weeks of Daniel. You remember that the weeks is actually a Hebrew word, which means a period of seven and it's commonly understood here to be years. So a week of years. Or 62 plus 7 plus 1 week of years. Okay? The total time period there, I believe, is 490 years. Okay? 70 weeks. 70 77 year periods. Okay? If you turn over to Daniel chapter 12... What you had there was this covenant that was made, uh, and it says there that in the middle of that 70th week that there would be an abrupt stop to the sacrifice and offering, and that there would be, it says there in the NAS, in the wing of abominations, one who makes desolate. In other translations, it says that he will set up an abomination of desolation. Okay, And the idea is that this is a a desecration of, of the holy worship of God, who is set up by the One. And of course, that One, if you're familiar with the book of Daniel, is, is one who we refer to as the Antichrist. Having New Testament revelation, that person in Daniel is now identified as the Antichrist. Okay? And so he sets up a desecration of the worship of God in the middle of the 70th week. Okay? Hang with me. You'll start to put all this together as we make some progress here. Here in Daniel chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, is a reference to the great tribulation period. And I want to read this to you. Daniel chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. Now at that time, Michael, the great prince who stands guard over the sons of your people, will arise. And there will be a time of distress such as never occurred since there was a nation until that time And at that time, your people, everyone who is found written in the book, will be rescued. Many of those who sleep in the dust of the ground will awake, these to everlasting life, but the others to disgrace and everlasting contempt. Those who have insight will shine brightly like the brightness of the expanse of heaven, and those who lead many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever." So here you have a reference in Daniel chapter 12. And there are several references in the book of Daniel to the great tribulation. But that's one of them. He basically says, uh, There will be a time of distress such as never occurred since there was a nation until that time. Okay? Now, Jesus refers to this same time period in the Olivet Discourse. Now, you remember that the Olivet Discourse is recorded in Matthew chapter 24... In Mark chapter 13 and in Luke chapter 21. It's basically a sermon that that Jesus gave to his disciples privately on the Mount of Olives. And that's why it's called the Olivet Discourse. I want to read that to you. A portion of it, I'm sorry. It's rather long. Um, Matthew chapter 24. I'm going to read you quite a few verses here. But you'll see that the disciples are asking Jesus about the signs of his coming and of the end of the age. And so Jesus goes and he begins to answer their questions. And he's, he, he makes some very specific statements. But you'll find in, in this Olivet Discourse, Jesus referring to these same events we just read about in Daniel. He, he refers to the prophecy of Daniel. And he refers to the abomination of desolation. And he refers to the great tribulation period. And these are all in the context of him answering the question, when will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Okay? And uh, so uh, starting in Matthew chapter 24 and verse 1. Jesus came out from the temple and was going away when his disciples came up to point out the temple buildings to him. And he said to them, Do you see all these things? Truly I say to you, not one stone here will be left upon another which will not be torn down. As he was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately, saying, Tell us, when will these things happen? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And Jesus answered and said to them, See to it that no one misleads you. For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and will mislead many. You will be hearing of wars and rumors of wars. Many will fall away and will betray one another and hate one another. Many false prophets will arise and will mislead many. Because lawlessness is increased, most people's love will grow cold. But the one who endures till the end, he will be saved. This gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all the nations, and then the end will come. Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation which was spoken of through Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place let the reader understand then let those who are in Judea then those who are in Judea must flee to the mountains whoever is on the housetop must not go down to get the things that are in his house whoever is in the field must not turn back to get his cloak but woe to those who are pregnant and those who are nursing babies in those days but pray that your flight will not be in the winter or on the Sabbath. For then there will be a great tribulation, such as has not occurred since the beginning of the world until now, nor ever will. Unless those days had been cut short, no life would have been saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. Then if anyone says to you, Behold, here is the Christ, or there he is, do not believe him. For false Christ and false prophets will arise and will show great signs and wonders as to mislead, if possible, even the elect. Behold, I have told you in advance. So, if they say to you, Behold, he is in the wilderness, do not go out. Or, Behold, he is in the inner rooms, do not believe them. For just as lightning comes from the east and flashes even to the west, so will the coming of the Son of Man be. And they will gather together his elect from the four winds, from one end of the sky to the other. Now learn the parable from the fig tree. When its branch has already become tender and puts forth its leaves, you know that summer is near. So you too, when you see all these things, recognize that he is near, right at the door. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. But of that day and hour no one knows, not even the angels of heaven nor the Son, but the Father alone. For the coming of the Son of Man will be just like the days of Noah. For as in those days before the flood they were eating and drinking and marrying and given in marriage, until the day that Noah entered the ark, and they did not understand until the flood came and took them all away, so will the coming of the Son of Man be. Then there, then there will be two men in the field, one will be taken and one will be left. Two women will be grinding at the mill, one will be taken and one will be left. Therefore, be on the alert, for you do not know which day your Lord is coming. But be sure of this, that if the head of the house had known at what time of the night the thief was coming, he would have been on the alert and would not have allowed his house to be broken into. For this reason you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour when you do not think he will. Okay. Amen. I'll end there. Okay. So, um, these are various passages of Scripture that talk about certain eschatological events. Okay. And uh, so now when we start digging into some of these issues again, you can kind of see where these things are coming from. Now, I've provided some charts to kind of help you see in a timeline where some of these things fall into place. But if you will, that's where all the controversy and the variant views come from. People read these things and they study them and they try to figure out, well, what does a sequence of these events look like? What, what will happen when Christ actually returns and... And, you know, what what will happen first and what will happen second? And so they they look at time and they see these events happening. And, uh, you know, they try to figure out what the Scripture has to say about what will happen when. If you will, this this becomes a very exciting endeavor, right? It even sells lots of books if you put it in a fancy novel format, right? Uh, But it's really an ingenious way for certain guys to kind of get an understanding of their eschatological view out into the public eye. And uh, so if you will, you know, we've been looking at this basic chart, which talks about from the cross until uh, the second coming, we have a time period called the church age, and then right toward the end, there seems to be this time of a seven-year period, which is referred to as the 70th week of Daniel, because as you remember I told you before, the first 69 weeks of Daniel were fulfilled in the 483 years that took place between the time of the issuing forth of the decree to rebuild Jerusalem until the time that the Messiah came and was cut off. That 69-week period was fulfilled. However, the 70th week period, it is commonly understood, has not yet been fulfilled. And so we're looking at This church age is what they call a time of parenthesis, because here's where the Messiah was cut off, on the cross. Well, that 70th week has yet to happen. That covenant has yet to happen when you're talking about premillennialism, okay? And so what we're saying is is that here's that seven-year period, and then there's that halfway point in the seven-year period when there is an abomination, that is set up, a desecration of the true worship of God, right? That happens in the middle of that week, that middle of that 70th period. And so what you're going to see is a whole concentration of controversy in these different positions, talking about the sequence of events that happens around this seven-year period. And then, of course, we know that the major event that happens is the second coming of Christ, okay? And according to that coming of christ there are several events that happen all in this end time period okay not the least of which to mention is the millennium which we've been talking about for the last three weeks okay the millennial period is is a thousand year period that's mentioned six times in revelation 20 in the first 10 verses okay so that thousand year period that millennium in the premillennial viewpoint happens after the second coming because the premillennial viewpoint states that Christ will return before the millennium and that he will actually establish a physical earthly kingdom on the earth and will sit on the throne in Jerusalem and reign for a thousand years. Okay? So when we talk about premillennialism, that is the view of end times that is common in the evangelical Christian church today <coughs> We're saying that Christ returns before the millennium and establishes his kingdom on the earth. Okay? And just prior to his return is a concentration of all kinds of events that eschatology describes. Okay? Remember, eschatology, the study of end times, the study of last things. Okay? So let's, let's look at our handout there that says pre-millennialism, and then there's a little definition right under that. Premillennialism: Christ will return before the millennium. Now, this is distinguished from post where it is taught that Christ will return after the millennium, and that the church will actually establish the millennium on the earth. Right? This is also in, a, in opposition to what we call amillennialism. And in that view, they believe that there's... No future millennium at all, but that in fact Christ will simply that right now is the millennium, and that there's no time period even specified. The thousand years is just an allegory, right? And that at the end of that time period, Christ will come and consummate the ages, and the, we will enter into the eternal state. Okay, all millennialism. Premillennialism is in contrast to those. And here's what it states. The belief that Christ will return before the millennium and actually established a physical Davidic kingdom, which he will rule from Jerusalem. Okay, Now that's a reference to King David. And King David had a, had a rule where he ruled from Jerusalem. And God made a covenant with David. In, uh, in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 13, he says that uh, God makes a covenant with David and says, There will never be a time when one of your sons will not rule upon your throne, but that your throne will be established forever. Okay? And uh, this is called the Davidic covenant. It's the covenant of of, uh, David's kingdom. Well, this also will be the time of fulfillment of many Old Testament prophecies to the nation Israel, which will at this time be saved and restored to the entire original Abrahamic inheritance okay so here's what we're saying is that during this time of the millennium in premillennialism premillennialists believe that during this time all of the old testament prophecies to Israel specifically the prophecies about their land their their offspring and the blessing from God are going to be fulfilled during that time so Christ is going to come he's going to set up his kingdom He's going to rule from Jerusalem, and during that time, Israel, the nation, is going to live in the land, and the promises that God has given to them are going to be fulfilled by the hand of Christ himself. Okay? That's premillennialism. It should be noted that there are many differences between premillennialists on various issues, typically concerning the time of the rapture and other key end-time events. So remember that I told you that during this last seven-year period, prior to the return of Christ, there's a concentration of events that are described in the Bible. And and what happens is on the sequence of events, there becomes a lot of discussion and controversy about exactly how they play out. Okay? And that, like, the main controversy in this is, is the timing of the rapture. The timing of the rapture. And you'll see that I gave you this. Charts on the back of there. And uh, there's, there's four of many views right there presented on the back of that. And it kind of shows you that different guys as they study the Scripture see these events being played out in different ways. Okay? And it's simply a matter of timing is really all it is. It's a discussion of, of different things. Now, of course, you're familiar with the rapture. The rapture is that uh, event... Where Christ comes and takes His church to Himself, right, and subsequently after that, releases His fury against a rebellious and unbelieving world. Okay, and um, the the this event called the Rapture is spoken of in in, in uh, various places in the Scripture. We read one last week from First Thessalonians chapter four, verses fifteen through nineteen. And uh, we, uh, we talked about the rapture. Okay? So one of the main controversies in, within premillennialism is, when will the rapture happen? Well, some say it will happen here, at the very beginning of the 70th week of Daniel. Okay. By the way, this 70th week of Daniel is also defined as, by many, the Great Tribulation Period. Now, that's that period that we read about there in those scriptures that we were reading. It said there will be a time of great tribulation, such as not happened from the beginning of nations until that time. So, some premillennialists define this whole seven-year period as the great tribulation. Okay, we'll talk some more about that. But you have these controversies like, well, when does the rapture happen? Something. It happens before the tribulation. Some think it happens right in the middle of the tribulation. Some think it happens right in the middle of the second three and a half years. And some think it happens at the end of the seven-year period. Okay? So uh, there's some real controversy about that. Why? Well, because the Bible doesn't make any specifically plain statements uh, with regard to all of the sequence of events. It does make some plain statements about when the rapture will happen, But it doesn't refer to all of the events when it's making those statements. Thus, the variant views, okay? So, uh, let's talk some more about these things. Key points in premillennialism. All right, according to the scripture in Revelation 20 verses 1 through 10, it describes a future millennium, a thousand year period when Christ will rule physically in his resurrected body and his resurrected saints with him. The earth from his throne in Jerusalem. This will be a time of unprecedented peace and righteousness on the earth. During the thousand years, Satan will be bound and have little or no influence in the world. Okay. Toward the end of the thousand years, Satan will be re- loosed again and shall deceive the nations and gather them for war against the saints in Jerusalem. Then there will be a super. They will be supernaturally defeated by Christ at the final judgment and will commence after the judgment. I'm sorry, and the final judgment will commence. After the judgment will commence the new heavens and the new earth and the eternal state. Uh, this is a description from Revelation chapter 20. I want to read that to you real quick so that you have a reference for what we're talking about. If you have your Bible, turn there, Revelation chapter 20. Okay? Revelation chapter 20 verses 1 through 10. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven holding the key of the abyss and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold of the dragon, that serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years and threw him into the abyss and shut it and sealed it over him so that he would not deceive the nations any longer until the thousand years were completed. After these things he must be released for a short time. Then I saw thrones and they sat on them and judgment was given to them and I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony of Jesus and because of the word of God and that those who had not worshipped the beast or his image and had not received the mark on their forehead and on their hand and they came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were completed. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is the one who has part in the first resurrection. Over these, the second death has no power, but they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him for a thousand years. When the thousand years is completed, Satan will be released from his prison and will come out to deceive the nations which are in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together for the war. The number of them is like the sand of the seashore. And they came up on the broad plain of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city. And fire came down from heaven and devoured them. And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are also. And they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Amen. So that's Revelation 21 through 10. And this this is where this thousand year period is, is mentioned six times. One of the key things to see there is that not only does Christ come, but it says that thrones are set up there and that those who had been beheaded for their testimony of Jesus and because of the word of God were resurrected and were to sit on these thrones and rule with Christ for a thousand years. Okay, Therefore, it is common in premillennialism for people to believe that during the thousand-year millennial period, the church who is living between the time of the cross and the time that millennium is set up is going to be resurrected and rule with Christ in Jerusalem and in the whole world, for that matter. And what you will have is a mixture of people on the earth of people who just live on the earth like you and I do today, who are still subject to sin, okay? But you have this whole company of resurrected saints who rule over the earth with Christ, okay? That's a common viewpoint within premillennialism. And there's some dispute about that in, in various ways. But uh, the point is, is that not only is Christ ruling from his throne, but he is reigning with his saints, Okay? These saints have been resurrected from the dead and are in resurrection bodies. Okay. If we're all saints, why does the devil, and Satan, have to come back? Why does he bring them back? Because during that time period, it is not just the saints that are there. There is a whole company of people who live in the world who are still subject to sin. They are referred to there in that text as the nations. The nations. So the saints are ruling over the nations of people who are there. Now, there's also some controversy as to, well, where do these nations come from, right? Well, the common premillennial view is, is that these people are people who actually were not killed during the great and terrible day of the wrath of God, okay? And that they are what is referred to in some places as the survivors who are left, because you realize that uh, uh, during, the time, or, or during the time of this seven-year period, there is a consummation of events that happens when Christ returns where he actually destroys many of the unbelievers. Okay? Uh, I'll give you a scripture. Zephaniah chapter 1, verses 15 through the end of the chapter gives a description of this great and terrible day of the Lord. Well, let me go ahead and just read that to you. Question? Where on that on your timeline up there is, is the wrath? Is that the tribulation, or is that separate? Or? Well, that's where there's some controversy about how those events get played out. Okay, that's what we're saying. There's a lot of controversy about when and where these things happen. So uh, we're going to get into that shortly here. Zephaniah, Zephaniah. He's uh, he's right toward the end of the Old Testament. Okay. You wondered if you ought to have a healthy fear of God? Hear now the word of the Lord. Starting in verse 1, chapter 1. The word of the Lord which came to Zephaniah, son of Cushy, son of Gedaliah, son of Amariah, son of Hezekiah, in the days of Josiah, son of Ammon, king of Judah. I will completely remove all things from the face of the earth, declares the Lord. I will remove man and beast, I will remove the birds of the sky and the fish of the sea and the ruins along with the wicked, and I will cut off man from the face of the earth, declares the Lord. Skip down to verse 10. On that day, declares the Lord, there will be the sound of a cry from the fish gate and wail from the second quarter, and a loud crash from the hills. Wail, O inhabitants of the mortar, for all the people of Canaan will be silenced. All who weigh out silver will be cut off. It will come about at that time that I will search Jerusalem with lamps, and I will punish the men who are stagnant in spirit who say in their hearts, The Lord will not do good or evil. Moreover, their wealth will become plunder and their houses desolate. Yes, they will build houses but not inhabit them and plant vineyards but not drink their wine." Near is the great day of the Lord Near and coming very quickly Listen, the day of the Lord In it the warrior cries out bitterly A day of wrath is that day A day of trouble and distress A day of destruction and desolation A day of darkness and gloom A day of clouds and thick darkness A day of trumpet and battle cry Against the fortified cities And against the high corner towers I will bring distress on men so that they will walk like the blind, because they have sinned against the Lord. And their blood will be poured out like dust, and their flesh like dung. Neither their silver nor their gold will be able to deliver them on the day of the Lord's wrath, and all the earth will be devoured in the fire of His jealousy, for He will make a complete end, indeed a terrifying one, of all of the inhabitants of the earth. Amen. So you have these kind of scriptures in the Bible that talk about God making a devastation of the whole earth. Well, one of the things you have to remember that in prophetic literature, there, there is what's, what we would call a telescoping effect of events. So I don't want to confuse you except to tell you that you may find one passage of prophetic literature that actually is prophesying about events that happen at great lengths in time apart from one another. Okay, so like, for instance, in this passage of scripture, some believe that the great day of the Lord actually begins when when Christ comes to take his church and begin his wrath during this period. But that that day of the Lord expands all the way until the end of the millennium so that there is a judgment against the wicked who are on the earth when God Christ comes to establish his throne, but that he doesn't actually wind up sweeping all men off the face of the whole earth and devouring the whole earth with fire until the end of the millennial period, down here sometime. Okay, now we know that's a reality because the New Testament gives us very clear teaching about that in Second Peter chapter 3, verses 10 and following. It talks about the great day of the Lord and the baptism of fire by which the world will end. God is going to burn this entire planet in the very near future. Terry? So during the millennial time, those who enter natural bodies will have children, not all those will be saints that time. Okay. Individuals born, and not all of them So we're talking about the people who enter into the millennial period. So what Terry's saying is people who survive the coming of Christ and his wrath when he sets up his kingdom. Those people who survive are going to begin to have families. And those will be the families of the nations who live on the earth during the time of the millennium who the church will rule and reign over. So you understand, you got these people and their natural bodies on the earth, just like you and me today. And you have a whole company of resurrected saints in their glorified bodies who will never, ever die again, ruling over them. Okay? So that's a common theme in premillennialism. Clear as mud? (laughs) Okay, let's look at some more key points of premillennialism, okay? Uh, The thousand years is literal. So in premillennialism, when it says they came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years, premillennialists believe that's a thousand years. Exactly. When it says that Satan is bound for a thousand years, they believe that's a thousand year period. Okay? Okay. And every, all six times when that millennium is mentioned, premillennialists believe that literally. Okay, Now, here is the major distinction between premillennialism and amillennialism and postmillennialism. Amillennialism and postmillennialists believe these scriptures of the thousand years are metaphorical, allegories. They don't really mean a thousand years. It's just a long period of time. It's a figure of speech in prophetic literature for a long period of time. That's amillennialism, postmillennialism. Premillennialism says you, ah, uh, and postmillennium guys have got a real problem with the way that you study Scripture. Because the Bible says a thousand years and it means a thousand years. And so the premillennialists employ what's called the literal, literal historical interpretation of that passage. In other words, they believe it is literally speaking about a thousand years. Okay? And that it describes events that are going to take place in the history of mankind. Literal, historical. Okay? Uh, Now, obviously, I'm a premillennialist. I believe that's a thousand year period. Okay? I I, I don't have any other way of reading and understanding the Bible except to read it and take it for what it says. Unless for some reason in the text it is implied that that's an allegory, which I don't see. So that makes me a premillennialist. Uh, I hope it makes you a pre-millennialist. If not, maybe we can have coffee together sometime. Um, Okay, so more key points. Satan is bound during the thousand-year millennium. Okay, now they believe that, that this is a time when Satan is literally bound. And so this is what makes the nature of the millennial kingdom a utopian society. Okay, because... The, the great influence that Satan and his demonic kingdom is having in the world right now is going to be bound. okay. And so during that time, it's going to be a time of unprecedented righteousness and peace on the earth. And, and uh, that's why the nature of the millennial kingdom for premillennialists is utopian. It's a utopian nature. And there are many, many scriptures in the Old Testament and in the New Testament which speak about this time frame As a utopian culture, a utopian society where there's very little, uh, you know, there won't be crime rates and things like this. Why? Well, because Jesus is going to be on the throne. And when when people do things like murder, guess what? Just penalty gets meted out for them. Okay? And there's a great deterrent to any kind of crime and so on and so forth. Why? Because God's holy law is going to be implemented by Christ and those who rule over the earth. Okay? There's many other things that could be said about that. But that's one of those key points. It's a utopian society because Satan is bound. Furthermore, resurrected saints will rule and reign with Christ and will never again be subject to sin and death. Okay, now, there is this thing in the, in the chapter that we read in Revelation where it said that they came to life and reigned with Christ a thousand years and that the second death had no power over them. Okay, what does this mean? Well, the second death is defined in the Scripture, Revelation chapter 20 again. The second death which has no power over them. Let me just read to you from chapter 21, verse 8. And there it says, But for the cowardly, and the unbelieving, and the abominable, and murderers, and immoral persons, and sorcerers, and idolaters, and all liars... Their part will be in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Okay, So Revelation defines the second death as, if you will, hell. It is that lake of fire where uh, rebellious men who reject Christ are tormented day and night forever with the devil and his angels. That's the second death. In Revelation 20, it says these saints will be resurrected and reign with Christ for a thousand years, and the second death has no power over them. In other words, their resurrection has taken place. And they will be resurrected immortal. They will put on immortality, as the scripture says in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 50 and following. And they will never again be subject to sin and death. This is the hope of every Christian. We have eternal life. And even though we die, Jesus says, "He who believes in me yet shall he live." And so the point is, is that there's coming a day in the very near future when the church will be resurrected, and she'll never die again. Okay. During this time, there will be a time of great tribulation and suffering, which directly precedes Christ's return. Premillennialists differ on the exact nature and timing of that period. Let me give you a few scripture references for the Great Tribulation. Matthew chapter 24, verses 21 and 29. And Revelation chapter 7, verse 14. And Daniel chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. And there are others, but we'll be talking about that shortly. We'll we'll look at some others. Also, during this time of the millennium, promises to Israel of land and Seed and blessing shall all be literally fulfilled. Okay? So now understand what's being said here. That the nation of Israel physically will be visited by God in the fulfillment of all of the good promises he made to them through the mouths of the prophets. Okay? Particularly promises of land, seed, and blessing. When we say seed, we talk we're talking about the offspring of the nation of Israel that they'll flourish and they will be like the sands of the seashore. Let me give you some scripture references for that. Ready? Jeremiah 3:16 through 18. Jeremiah chapter 23 verse 8. Amos chapter 9 verse 15. And then Genesis chapter 17 verses 4 through 8. Okay? God's fulfilled promises to Israel okay during the millennium that's a key theme in premillennialism furthermore two resurrections of both believers and unbelievers give you a scripture reference for that John chapter 5:29 would somebody look that up and read it for us anybody okay Tanya and then there's these two resurrections okay one of those resurrections we call the bema seat judgment This is where Christians are judged by Christ and are given different degrees of reward for their service to Him. And then there is the unbelievers who go to a final judgment of eternal condemnation. Okay? Now, here's what is commonly believed in premillennialism about the resurrections and the judgment. You see these arrows? They're all referring to at some point, the rapture is going to happen. Okay, When the rapture happens, the church will be resurrected. Once the church is resurrected, she has a glorified body and will never die. She goes to judgment before Christ and, and is receiving reward based on how well she served him. Let me give you a scripture reference for that. Romans chapter 14, verse 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 11 through 15. Okay? And then there is the judgment of unbelievers. So people during the church age who have not been born again by the Holy Spirit or received Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, that whole company of people who do not obey the gospel and do not believe in Jesus Christ so that they conform their life to his teaching because they have been born again, those people will be resurrected after the millennium at this time in history which we will call the final judgment. Let me give you a scripture reference for that. Revelation chapter 20, verses 11 through 15. And Tanya is going to read us John chapter five verse twenty-nine. These are the words of Jesus. Twenty-nine. Yeah. And will come forth. You can you can go back to twenty-eight. That's what I was like. <laughs> yeah, that's fine. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming in which all are in the tombs will hear who are in the tombs will hear his voice and will come forth. <clears throat> Those who did the good deeds to a resurrection of life. Those who committed the evil deeds to a resurrection of judgment. Okay. So Jesus lays out two resurrections. He says those who did good deeds to a resurrection of life and those who did evil deeds to a resurrection of judgment. Now, don't think for one minute that that means good people go to heaven and bad people go to hell. Okay? That's a myth. If you were here for the last nine months, we would have taught you all about that. But uh, So the point is everybody goes to hell unless Christ snatches them from the fire. And gives them faith by which they employ and are believed in Christ. And are born again. So that those who are born again do the deeds of God, which are what? To believe on the one he has sent. Right? So, that's another discussion for another day. So, uh... In looking at these verses, one one other scripture reference for the judgment of unbelievers would be Matthew chapter 25, verses 31 through 46. And let me just go ahead and read to you Revelation 20, 11 through 15. Then I saw a great white throne and him who sat upon it, from whose presence earth and heaven fled away and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged from the things which were written in the books according to their deeds. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it. And death and Hades gave up the dead which were in them, and they were judged, every one of them, according to their deeds. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Okay? There you have the resurrection and final judgment of all men. Okay, this is a very clear teaching, all mankind, I should say, men and women both. Very clear teaching in the Bible, Hebrews 9.27, It is appointed for a man to die once and then the judgment. Okay? Another key theme in premillennialism is that the new heavens and earth begin after Christ's defeat of Satan and the final judgment. So, premillennialism says that from this point forward in time, this is the eternal state. Or we could just say heaven forever. Okay? That's a common theme in premillennialism. Then also the nature of the millennium is a utopian and it has a very limited presence of sin. Okay? Let me give you a few scripture references for that. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 and 7. Zechariah chapter 14, verse 18. Isaiah chapter 65, verses 17 through 24. Okay? I'm sorry? Zechariah 14:18. Okay. Another key point in premillennialism is the doctrine of imminency. Imminency. What are we saying? Imminency is the idea that Christ could return at any moment. Okay? And even when we were reading those scriptures from Matthew 24, you remember how the scripture said, nobody knows the day or the hour, but you better be ready. Why? Because their Lord is coming at a time when you do not expect him. Right? From this arises this concept which we call the doctrine of eminency. It is eminent for Christ to return. Okay? This is a common theme in premillennialism, to believe in the doctrine of eminency. Okay? Now, there is a distinction to be made in how different people view the doctrine of eminency, and we're going to talk about that next week. Now, I'm going to give you scripture references for... There's basically two views of eminency. One is, you're walking down the sidewalk one day, Christ returns, pow, you're a pile of clothes, and you're gone. That's the rapture. Okay? Another is that there are certain events that must take place before the return of Christ at the rapture and uh, and that those are clearly laid out in Scripture would be the position of those who hold that view. Okay? And we're going to talk about that. We're going to look at both sides of the question and we're going to look at the Scripture references on both sides of the questions. Okay? So, um, now remember, within premillennialism, you have all these variant views on these different details and how these things work out, where they fit in the timeline, so on and so forth, okay? So from this point forward, we're going to talk about variant views. We're going to talk about variant views and we're going to talk about the differences that people hold in the scriptures they they quote to have those different positions in those variant views, okay? So right now while we're still in this general overview of premillennialism, is there any questions or comments? Before we go into those details. Terry. And the final judgment, that's the judgment of all mankind, not just unbelievers from the cross. Correct? Right. Yeah, that's what I put. All mankind. Okay. Yeah. Oh, what Terry's point is? Yeah, get this. That even people who lived before the cross, all the way back to the creation of mankind, will be judged at this final judgment. Okay, that's your point, right, Terry? Okay, Terry. Um, So in the um, millennial kingdom, it is a healthy nature, and there will be an emphasis again righteousness amongst the land. How is it that there will be some that Well, because there's a whole company of people living there which are not born again. So this is what we're talking about, these survivors who live through the day of the Lord and enter into the millennium and then begin to have the families of the nations. Those are still sinners. They have a sinful nature, the same nature you and I have now, which was passed down to us from Adam. So there arises a whole controversy about how people get saved during the millennium, okay? And um, long story short, this is where dispensationalism and covenantalism uh, find some real struggles, right? Of course, covenantalism says people throughout all ages have always gotten saved in all the same way, by grace through faith in Christ, okay? Dispensationalists have a different view of that. You know, they, they say that God is dealing with mankind based on the revelation that they have during the time period that they live. And that that, that the way that God saves people actually differs with, within different time periods within dispensationalism. Now, there's all these arguments within dispensationalism about that very statement I just made. Some people believe just like covenantalists, but they just think that the way that those things are being unfolded the nature of those time periods changes, okay? So that's where all of that that argument is about how people get saved in the millennial period, okay? But there is a whole family of nations on the earth who are sinners. That's basically how that is. Did I answer that? Okay. So is there a short answer to will there be people saved after the second coming? Depends on who you ask. (laughs) Do you have a short answer for it? Well, it depends, you know, because you see, some people think, and here's let's just go right into this. Let's talk just a little bit about the timing of the rapture, and you can look at your chart, this chart on on the back of this. Okay, let me let me describe for you some variant views about the timing of the rapture. You have people that, in the most common view, the most popular common view. Is called pre-tribulational. Let's just call it pre-trib. Pre-trib is that the rapture, now we're talking about the rapture, specifically the timing of the rapture and how it fits into end time events. Pre-tribulational rapture, these premillennialists believe that this will happen before the 70th week of Daniel and before the great tribulation period. Okay, now... Among pre-tributors, they differ a little bit on is this whole period the great tribulation or just part of it or or whatever. There's a difference as to the nature of the tribulation itself. But a pre-tribber believes that Christ returns to rapture his church before the tribulation and takes the saints off of the earth to be, uh, uh, he comes for them here. But then he returns again at the second coming with his church. Okay? And that the whole company of the church comes back with Christ at the second coming, at the end of the 70th week of Daniel, to judge wicked and ungodly men and to set up his kingdom. That That's the pre-trib view. Okay? In the pre-trib view, specifically regarding your question on how people get saved after the second coming, see... There's, if you will, there's two comings, one for his church, one with his church. And in the pre-trib viewpoint, there is a way for people to be saved during this time period, okay? Basically the same way people get saved now, by by repentance and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, okay? Uh, so what happens typically in the pre-trib viewpoint, if you look in Revelation chapter 7, verses 1 through 7, there is a... Discussion about the 12,000. Uh, uh, I'm sorry, 144,000 uh, from each tribe, Jews. And typically, among pre tribers they think that those Jews are uh, believing Jews who believe in Christ and are actually evangelizing the earth. And that through their evangelistic uh, ministry, many people get saved by believing the gospel. But that most or all of those people who believe in Christ during that tribulation period will be martyred and killed. And those people are called the tribulation saints. Okay? That's the most common view of the answer to your question in the pre-trib view. But in the mid-trib or the pre-wrath or the post-trib view, there's some differences in how that, how that plays out. Okay? So, if you will, I just described to you the pre-trib view. Is there any other key points that I should make about the pre-trib view here? Has everybody got the general overview? Greg? Just a, just a general question about where Israel fits in and salvation coming to the Israelites. Okay, yeah. Let me, let me say that. <coughs> Among pre-tribbers, they make a very sharp distinction between Israel and the church. Okay? which is typically motivated by dispensationalism, that term I keep telling you about, okay? And so that, basically, this time of the church age, they refer to as the times of the Gentiles, which comes right out of the Scripture in Romans and Ephesians and other places, and that this is the time that God is dealing with the Gentiles in the dispensation of grace. But that upon rapturing the church, God Begins to deal with the nation of Israel again Who he has set aside To some degree During the times of the Gentiles So that when the last Gentile is saved Okay This is what's said many times That God will begin his program with Israel Which the 70th week Begins to inaugurate at that point And then comes the great tribulation And the antichrist And all of those end time events Okay So that uh, that's when these believing Jews start evangelizing the earth and 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 uh, many, many people get saved during the the, uh, the seven-year, 70th week of Daniel and those people are called the tribulation saints. Okay? Now, pre-tribbers also believe that Jews get saved the same way Christians do by repentance and faith in Christ. Okay? And... Um, but that there'll be a whole company of those Gentiles and Jews being saved during the seven-year, seventieth uh, week of Daniel. Okay, and I I I I, I stop saying seven-year Great Tribulation because uh, even among pre-tribbers, they don't believe the tribulation is a seven-year period anymore. That used to be a very common thing. Pre-tribber would believe that the tribulation was a seven-year period. Now they're defining it right here in the last three and a half years, or I should say many are. So many think that this little time period right here is the Great Tribulation. Second three and a half years of the 70th week of Daniel. Okay? So at one time you would say seven-year tribulation. Nowadays that's all over the place. People are defining that time frame differently. So, they're, so in a pre-trib view, the first half of the first seven weeks seven-year, um, 70th week, that's like the setup period where the, when the economy shifts, the, right. like the mark of the beast. And yes, that, it's common during this time period right here. Basically, you, you either get in line or you lose your hitting. That's during the second half. Uh, correct, correct. So so what Ron is saying, it's common among pre-tribbers that the first three and a half years of the 70th week of Daniel is a time of peace inaugurated by uh, the Antichrist and that he is a great uh, world ruler who comes as Daniel calls him a master of intrigue and that he sets up this whole system. Read Revelation chapter 13. Mm -hmm. Uh, The whole chapter and into chapter 14 talks about the mark of the beast and the system that he employs whereby people must take a mark on their right hand or their forehead if they want to buy, sell, or trade in the world. And that during that time he establishes this system. And of course the scripture teaches that there's many people who will not do that and therefore during the second three and a half years or at the time that he inaugurates the abomination of desolation and going forward, he turns and he's got a great wrath toward those people who will not conform to his world system and he starts to behead them and kill them. And uh, so this, I was reading from Revelation chapter 20 where it said, those who came to life Right, who had not received the mark of the beast on their right hand or their forehead. right? Well, that's referring back to Revelation chapter 13 and 14. You can see a lot of that get set up in technology nowadays you know, in preparation for combating identity theft. How mm-hmm. are they going to do it? Certainly it would seem like there's a lot of things happening in the world that would lend itself uh, toward that particularly. But all premillennialists hold that these things will happen. There's just some discussion about when and where and how. Okay? We're out of time. We have defined the pre-trib view. Next week, we'll start right off the bat with mid-trib, post-trib, pre-wrath views on the timing of the rapture. And then we're going to go into this thing about variant views and talk about the Great Tribulation, eminency, the Olivet Discourse, and the distinction between Israel and the church. It's all right. Yes, ma'am. Next, next do we have a volunteer to bring our snacks next week? Cheryl Monero will do that, okay? By the way, next week is our last class. And as Sophia said, there's going to be a party after the second service. Is that right? Yes, there'll be lunch down here served and um, to celebrate having finished the year. Okay, so there's a fellowship after the second service next week to celebrate our class. And um, I'm going to go ahead and pray. God, our Father, oh God, I pray that we have had ears to hear and eyes to see. I pray, God, that we would take your word seriously. And may we know that the living God has spoken through his word today. We thank you, Lord, for your grace to us, which is in Christ Jesus. I pray that each and every one here would know the cross and the precious blood of Jesus and the grace that is ours in him. Oh Lord, make it clear to each and every one, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.